University of Louisville understands that their students come from diverse backgrounds with aspirations, drives, and needs to match. With more than 50 online programs in areas like business, education, social work, engineering, and more, Yulevale provides students with a multitude of career advancing options and flexible coursework. Students can complete their coursework from the comfort of their home or on the go via mobile apps. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. That's louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. And the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Separated by the miles, but connected via the technology. That's right. It is a connected world, and we're just two little cogs in the machine. <laughs> with, with cups of coffee, because we do build this show right. as a collegial conversation about <laughs> online teaching and learning conducted over a shared cup of coffee, even if that sharing is, uh, you know, virtual, as they say these days. That's right. So, Kelvin, you mentioned the cup of coffee, mm -hmm. and it is sort of our, our signature. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what is in your thermos today? In the thermos today, uh, Tom, is uh, unusually a blend from Fuel Coffee Roasters in Alpharetta, Georgia. Its name, the blend's name, is First Call. And it was one of a set of three specialty blends created to honor and benefit, via a portion of the proceeds, First Call. Responders. So, first call honors 911 dispatchers, and there were there were other ones for other um, first responders. And uh, you might know this: a first call generically signifies a go-to resource, the first person you reach out to. And in a bit of new to Kentucky trivia, I also learned that first call is uh, another name for the famous call to post, or more trivia, assembly of the buglers. Uh, properly named Bugle Call, now associated with horse racing, such as the Kentucky Derby, held just down the street from UofL at Churchill Downs. So uh, we'll even throw a link in the show notes to the Kentucky Derby Bugler. You know, the da 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 You know, we'll have that in there. Guy's been doing the job for like 30 years there, you know, or something. It's, it's interesting. So the coffee is not bad. Uh, can you find a connection to today's episode? topic in my cup, or maybe you could supply one of your own. <laughs> um, all right, so let me think. There was a lot of reference to first calls. Yes. And um, we're, we are talking about a book that had a call for proposals to write chapters. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that might be, that might be a piece of it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I do think first has something to do with it. Yes, so. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm and on I the thought right too, first call as a um, a go-to resource, right? I, I think uh, we're going to be talking mm. to someone you interviewed about this this book that I think uh, will be a go-to resource for online education professionals. Yeah. So I'm having a nice coffee, as I will sometimes do. But I don't know. All that talk about Kentucky Derby's making me want a mint julep here. Ooh, it's a mint julep. Yeah. Well, it is warming up outside. 
It is. It is. And it is almost time for that big famous race. All right. So should we talk about um, who I interviewed? Sure. So, Tom, you recently interviewed Dr. Betty Jo Boucher. And Dr. Boucher is Associate Professor and Vice Provost of Digital Strategy and Operations at National Lewis University. She's also the lead editor on this book project that you contributed to. And uh, as we said, I think it is the first publication from the Online Learning Consortium's OLC Press. The book title is, uh, and you're going to say this again in the interview, but I'm going to say it now too because it's long enough that you need to hear it at least twice. From grassroots to the highly orchestrated, online leaders share their stories of the evolving online organizational landscape in higher education. Dr. Boucher's co-editors are Dr. Aaron Grotz and Dr. Shelley Kurland. Is there anything you'd like to want to say about your conversation with Dr. Boucher before we cut to it, or the book, or anything else? Um, mint juleps, perhaps. That's um, right. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think the the conversation uh, kind of stands on its own as a good introduction to the to the to the book, the edited collection. I will say that I am not a completely objective interviewer. <laughs> I do have the first chapter in the book, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I was uh, proud to be associated with it. So, um, you know, with that caveat, um, I think maybe we should uh, we should take a listen. Well, let's do that from the modern miracle that is podcast time travel. Here is your interview with Dr. Betty Jo Boucher. Betty Jo, thank you so much for being on TopCast. Thanks for having me. So the main thing I wanted to talk to you about, of course, we talk about whatever you like, is the new online learning consortium book. Um, I want to make sure I get the title right. Um, From grassroots to the highly orchestrated, online leaders share their stories of the evolving online organizational landscape in higher ed. It is, I believe, the very first book from the new OLC Press, correct? It is indeed. And you passed the quiz right out of the gates and read the title of the book. So thank you, Tom. (laughs) It's a mouthful, but that's okay because the book covers an awful lot of stuff. Which is kind of where I wanted to start. Um, You've got these kind of five framing categories that the book is kind of organized into. Uh, And just for for those who have not yet read the book, what's wrong with you, listening audience, you should have read the book by now. But if not, this is a little teaser for you. Uh, Section one is leadership, um, followed by administrative functions, academic functions, student onboarding and support services, and innovation. And I was wondering if if that was a framing that you started with and then kind of solicited uh, calls for papers, or did you kind of come up with those categories once you sort of saw what you had? Yeah, that's a great question. And as in life, it's both, uh, it's a yes and. Uh, so even though this is not improv, but we'll we'll treat it as such for just a second. So we had started out with looking at our research through the lens of the student development life cycle. And when we did that, we kind of bucketed these things into four quadrants. Uh, and then when we were doing interviews, we ended up collapsing the last two. And that was the sort of support structures and, uh, you know, and the online student support. So, um, and partly because the interviews took us in that direction. So for a while we had three dimensions and that's 
perfectly adequate. That made perfect sense for us. And then we started getting all of the chapters coming in uh, for the request uh, for proposals and noticed that there were a lot of need to look at online as a cross-cutting measure, as something that wasn't just, you know, something you would talk about in the context of, say, enrollment or faculty management. It was this bigger principle, which of course we knew, but when we were seeing it through the eyes of our chapter contributors, it made more sense to then have these two other dimensions that could really, you know, begin the book and kind of end the book for us. So uh, we were really thrilled. And then, you know, it's funny too, Tom, we got to the end of this and thought, well, you know what, these are actually all innovation and leadership, <laughs> but we, you know, but we still align to the original dimensions in the research study just to really honor those results as well. Well, I mean, it still fits under the overarching theme of the title in the book, right? Leadership and in, in yes. online uh, higher ed. Um, you know, your your co-editors, uh, Aaron and Shelley, have, um, you know, they work in very different kinds of institutions. And I wonder if, you know, the way the three of you sort of collaborated as editors, if that kind of different institutional background, the variety there, um, created uh, some benefits or, or challenges or both? Well, uh, so my co-editors, Aaron Gratz and Shelley Kurland, are, first of all, two of the most amazing human beings I feel privileged to know. So just want to lead with that. Uh, what I find really interesting about our kind of triad is that we do come from slightly different institutions. We also come from different backgrounds. Uh, professionally and personally. So it really creates this lovely sort of beautiful chaos in the writing and the research process where we naturally challenge each other and reinforce, challenge, reinforce, uh, and over time have just developed almost our own way of being, uh, which makes these projects, uh, you know, far less uh, intensive and, uh, you know, maybe feeling laborious and more just like, this is the fun thing that I do with my two friends uh, that, that ends up being this, you know, thing that we did with the Online Learning Consortium, for example. So uh, so the, the short answer is yes, but it's also, I think, a little bigger for the three of us too. Yeah, well, some is greater than the whole of the parts or the parts or whatever that expression is, you are all better together, I guess, than individually. For sure. Um, well, and as somebody who contributed a chapter, I just found working with all three of you really, really great. Um, very supportive. Uh, I had some strange things in my chapter that you all kind of helped me work through. And yeah, it was it was a really, I thought, supportive um, process. So yeah, on behalf of the contributors, thank you. Oh, a pleasure. Uh, I wonder if there was anything, you know, that surprised you that you that you learned through the process, whether it was something that an, that a, an author or authors said or something that you know, like a fact or something that kind of popped out that was that was, you know, a revelation for you. Well, perhaps a perhaps less surprising what we saw in the chapters because we knew everything that our chapter authors sent through would be fantastic. And it was, right? So we already knew that. 
And I'll say in the research process, there were many surprises there. Uh, the first big one being that, you know, we kind of went into that research project thinking we could make sense of online organizational structures through the lens of organizational behavior and organizational development, right? So we did our research there and looked at those frameworks and thought this, this will be so easy, right? We'll be able to line this up. And I had this whole idea of this widget and then you could move things around and figure out what the optimal structure was, which was ridiculous <laughs> uh, because really where we landed is that online organizations are fairly messy uh, organizations in, in the truest sense of messy organizational structure, uh, but also are very, very individual to the institution and the people, most primarily the people who started online, right? You can see their personality and kind of their forever stamp <laughs> on online um, at that institution. So we weren't able to make sense of it through you know, sort of these traditional frameworks, but we were able to make sense of it from kind of this individualized perspective and also this greater idea that uh, online perpetually evolves, right? So it kind of defies this, you know, kind of inventory thing that we thought we were getting to. And uh, so it was at, you know, at, at all at the same time, frustrating, but also wonderful to really bring that into my understanding. Yeah, it's funny you, you say that because we had Jocelyn Widmer on the show not that long ago, and Jocelyn did her own sort of private uh, research mm -hmm. similarly about structure and organization, and, and she found the same thing, that that um, it's very context-specific, yet there are these common themes, but the way people execute on those themes can vary greatly. We all have the same goals and objectives, right, but how we accomplish them um, is really, I think, kind of the the, the centerpiece of, the, of your book, because it talks about practices and methodologies and sort of things that worked in case studies that that you can take the pieces of that make sense in your context and, and apply them, you know, at home. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I started to say at one point, too, is that we wanted other readers, other institutions to find a little bit of themselves in the book, as well as things that weren't them uh, to to kind of find their way, right, or find a new way for that matter. And so we think that every institution will see at least some of themselves in this book. Well, you sort of despite that kind of context dependent nature of a lot of it. Did, mm -hmm. did any particular themes emerge that you say, oh yeah, well, this is a universal truth <laughs> for everybody who's in a position like this? Uh Interestingly, in some ways, sure, right there. So there are some domains of responsibility and accountability that we could in some ways start to hang our hat on, right? So instructional design, you know, commonly came up, you know, in this portfolio as, you know, sometimes the learning management system management would come in there, enrollment admission. So, so we found some functional areas that seem to line up more often than not. Um, I, I will say that the biggest area of variability for us was in academic affairs and the academic enterprise. That's where the real chaos really, you know, started. Um, and, you know, and part of that was about the type of institution, right? You know, that's, you know, about 
unions and faculty governance and all of those different kinds of things as well, um, but also some of the heritages um, that existed um, or that you know still exists in those institutions. Yeah, I can see that um, and living in a context with a faculty union and having worked in one where there wasn't, I can right. I totally get that, yeah. Um, you know, despite how comprehensive I think the book is, um, I imagine that there's, there's still some areas that could be explored further. Um, what suggestions do you have for areas of further research exploration? Yeah, so interestingly enough, we are getting ready to, uh, spoil alert, launch a follow-up, uh, <laughs> a small-scale follow-up study, and uh, we'll be reaching out to the original participants to say, hey, what happened since, right? So here were your hopes and dreams at the time, and here's what was happening and what happened since, and so we'll, we'll sort of do a pulse check there. But I think, you know, outside of that, what, what I continue to think about is, what does the full landscape of online look like when almost every institution has online programming? Which is not something that we really would have said maybe even three or four years ago, right? We would have said, you know, here are the folks that do it and here are the folks that perhaps have chosen not to. And of course, we know what happened to change that. And th this idea that there is, there are unlimited students pursuing post-secondary education is not true, right? And what does it really mean to compete in that kind of market? Um, that's different for us, right? We're higher ed in particular, we're not necessarily as focused um, as perhaps private industry might be in that competitive landscape, right? That kind of competition. Like we're used to understanding we have peers and, you know, and all of that, right? But when you're talking about competing student by student, that's a fairly different shift for us. So I, I am very curious what that looks like, especially as we're seeing, you know, some of the really big players now double down on online as well, not just the national players that you always hear about, um, but, you know, the UCFs and, you know, the Ohio States and, you know, we're seeing the, the big players sort of come into the market saying, oh, we're actually here too. And here's what we're going to do. And that will create some interesting times for us all to navigate. Yeah. And, and even for, you know, schools like, like, you know, the ones you mentioned, UCF, Ohio State, sort of big publics, um, you know, the, the, the competition is, is growing, right? Um, as you said, especially in sort of a, a post-COVID kind of context where even schools that didn't have an online strategy prior to COVID now all of a sudden realize they need an online strategy. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, a book like this that kind of really talks to how do you, how do you lead how do you administer, how do you support a program like that? I think it's just really timely. Um, you know, not that you wanted a worldwide pandemic to make your right. book super relevant, but <laughs> it does make it super relevant right now. So I don't know, maybe maybe that's kind of where, where we'll kind of wrap up. Um, if you could, I'll give you an opportunity to do a shameless plug. Um, if, if you could kind of explain, you know, why should somebody pick up the book? What would they get out of it? Why would it be worth their, their time? You know, uh, make your pitch. Sure. So, uh, you know, again, what, what we really hoped and still hope uh, for is that any institution picks it up and says, I see myself 
in this chapter. This chapter resonates with me. I can see a path for us here. But I would also say, especially if you run into that chapter early on in the book, keep reading because, you know, there are several sub themes I didn't get to here that connect to those first few chapters as well. We sort of intentionally front loaded the book with some of the bigger ideas that thread through some of the rest of the chapters because some of the stories um, are are fairly specific, right? You're you're leaving your online program manager and here's what you might expect, right? You know, that's a very specific use case or you're, um, you know, you've lost your fee structure and you have to completely, you know, rehaul your, you know, way that you fund your online organization. That's a specific use case. But generally speaking, you can hear and see the strategies that underpinned those stories and their stories. It's not a, you know, a research case study where you're, you know, sifting through findings. These are real stories written by the people who were engaged in that work and they left it all on the table for you. You know, many of them admitted when they did, you know, made mistakes, they uh, told you what they did about them and what they might change in the future. And so I think it's, and it's also kind of an easy read because of that. These are really relatable stories. These are very real people, um, very real institutions trying to find their way. Um, and so that for me, there was this feeling of, you know, kind of, um, uh, kind of subscribing people in these chapters, like pulling in other people, you know, kind of into these mini belief systems that exist in the chapters. So um, I don't know, that was a lot of words, Tom, but you know, th <laughs> this is a, this has been such a labor of love for us because we, you know, we firmly, um, as do all of the authors in this book, believe that that online is the ultimate access lever you know, it's the ultimate lever for us in higher ed. And here are these, you know, 18 stories that can help you get there faster. I think that's a great shameless plug. And um, yeah, I think, as I said, it's a it's a book whose timing is perfect for the needs of the of the community. Uh, I'm proud to be associated with it. Thank you for including me well, in it. Um, so um, I think that was that was a great overview. Um, so on, on behalf of Kelvin and myself, Betty Jo, thank you for being on TopCast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Tom, that was your interview with Dr. Betty Jo Boucher. It was. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to Betty Jo, and uh, I enjoyed working with her and Aaron and Shelley on the book. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my, my chapter had some weirdness to it, and they were nice guides through it. It was a... I, I talked about leadership lessons from the pandemic, and it was a, a much more kind of a personal, reflective kind of chapter than I might mm. typically do in a scholarly <laughs> collection. <laughs> and they kind of helped me find the path that kind of mm. allowed a little bit of that leeway, but still kind of keeping true to the kind of book it was. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I recall her saying a, a little bit about um, just kind of the placement of a you know, it's important for how we make sense of the work, but, you know, you have like more scholarly kind of research reports, research articles versus, you know, kind of capturing of insights and finding the way to do that is is kind of challenging. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and um, you know, just for what it's worth, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, Online Learning Consortium has, has kind of leaned into this publishing mm -hmm. mission. And I think this is a, a worthy book to, to kind of jumpstart that. Um, it really does kind of um, address a lot of the waterfront of what online learning leaders are kind of facing. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, she used examples like, you know, I have to get rid of my OPM or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, there's like mm -hmm. specific things, but there's an, an awful lot of goodness in there. And, it's, and it also covers a, a variety of different types of institutions. Mm -hmm. So as she said, um, I think that you can find Mm -hmm. something in there to relate to. But mm -hmm. even if it's a different kind of institution, there's pieces of what they are kind of have gone through that mm -hmm. you can relate to or apply to your own individual context. It's You don't have to just find the one that is exactly like you to get some real value out of it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, it's on my list of books to purchase. Um, and okay, uh, in a bit of the commercial segment of the, the show, uh, in the show notes, we'll have a uh, link to the, the book purchase, but if you purchase, if you're an OLC member, uh, there's actually like a 20% discount if you purchase from the OLC Press site. And so we'll have both of those in there. Like, I'm going to buy it at the non-discounted price because it's, um, I'm learning this new institution and uh, it's apparently a Herculean <laughs> challenge to uh, buy things that yeah, so I'm just going <laughs> to buy it. Said, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to buy it. just going to yeah. buy it. Well, I'll say this too. I, I should know this off the top of my head, but um, I, I recall seeing that, I mean, I got an author copy, so yay for me. <laughs> I didn't have to buy it. But um, it's not expensive. No, you know, it is not. Typically, these kinds of books right. can, get, can get silly. Because um, they're you know being sold to libraries or something. This that's yeah. not the case. This is real accessible. No, it really so is. I, you know, good for them. I think the list price is somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty bucks, which is yeah, not bad. If you say so, uh, that sounds about right. But I didn't I want to so. throw a number out. I yeah. looked at it the other day, and I, I think that's right. So I, I think I'm I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get an e-text. Uh, so you know, I'm trying to gauge when I'm gonna do paper and when I'm gonna be e-text. And uh, uh, you know, speaking of texts and context, uh, probably good. Another little plug here, right? Here's another. We've, seems like we've been talking about this a lot. Institutional context. That's really, in a sense, what this whole book is about. And uh, so, another shout out to that um, interview with Dr. Jocelyn Whitmer, uh, and perhaps. Uh, a plug to our recent episode number 135 on institutional context as like a comparison between institutions. So, you know, we try to make sense of that work. Um, anything else you want to say about some of the, the conversation that you and Betty Jo had about, you talked about some of the themes and so forth and making yeah. sense of it? Well, um, you know, I thought it was interesting that she kind of identified, you know, some of the 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 common threads that like, you know, LMS administration yeah. and overseeing instructional design yeah. and, you know, yeah. some of those things that, um, that I could relate to. But, you know, I think when you take a step back and you, and you look at maybe the broader mission of say like, you know, access or mm -hmm. student mm -hmm. success or something, I mean, those I think are also common themes, but the, the, the methods, the strategies that are used to, to accomplish them within that particular institutional context can vary a lot. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, it, I think it just really underscores the, the research that Betty Jo and her collaborators did and that mm-hmm. Jocelyn Widmer did and, and, and others. I, you know, I think, I think back to even the, um, the interview we did with Eric Fredrickson when he yes. was looking at just titles of people yes. in leadership roles and there wasn't a whole lot of consistency there, but the jobs were functionally very similar, you know. Yeah, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll throw links to those previous episodes in the show notes if you haven't heard any of those episodes. Uh, all worth a listen and all kind of interconnected, like you, like you said. Yeah, I remember uh, Betty Jo mentioning there was a lot of variability she found in kind of the academic affairs, quote-unquote, area. Uh, and then I thought it was kind of interesting. I wanted to kind of learn more, and I'm, maybe this will be borne out in the book. Uh, she talked about the how you could see, and I think this is where you really kind of talk about what you what you, you see, what you're just talking about about um, zoomed in context. She talked about the stamp of the person who started uh, the initiative at ind- individual institutions. That you could really yeah. see differences, peculiarities to the person as much as to the institution. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think about, I mean, and you you were there at UCF when it was started. And, and I think there's some truth to that, mm-hmm. um, both mm-hmm. structurally, but also just the human personalities yep. that were yep. involved and why things evolved yep. and took the shape that they did had a lot to do with that. And I bet it's the same in almost every institution across the country. I'm, I'm going to guess so. I mean, unless there was a complete cleaning house somewhere, right? I mean, for whatever reason. I'm going to think that some of some of that DNA gets propagated and sticks around culturally. I, I it, it may be I less think. true for institutions that are standing up like a new initiative mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. that seems to be more of a top-down kind of mm-hmm. administrative, mm-hmm. hey, we got to get in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for those that have been around for a while, uh, I, I think that there, there is some, like, interesting evolution <laughs> that, that, that had a... a some sort of you know catalyst early on, and and is has was shaped by the personalities that started it. Yeah, which I don't, I don't think that's bad. You know, uh, I think it's interesting. It makes places right. unique, and although there's probably on the flip side things to be learned from seeing how other people do things and going, oh, we don't have to do it this way. Well, it certainly explains the idiosyncratic idiosyncratic nature of mm-hmm. the you know, various institutional context, context, because people are different, right? And and they're going to make different institutions. So I enjoyed the conversation with Betty Jo. I I appreciated her and Erin and Shelley's work um, as editors on the book. So, you know, shameless plug. I encourage people to check it out. Uh, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. And I mean, I, maybe I'll say this last thing that I thought was, I think she said it quickly, but I thought was really, um, salient that uh, Betty Jo said that she said they're not unlimited students for whom all of our institutions are quote-unquote competing. And, and so that's where, you know, honestly, I think institutional distinctives have something to say, right? I mean, right. lean into what makes your institution unique, and that's going to appeal and connect to some sector of students. Yeah, totally agree. Um, not unlimited, but at the moment, I think plenty because plenty. there's an awful lot of students being not plenty. served, right? Yeah, plenty. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, cool. So should should I try and wrap it up? Yeah, you think? please. Yeah. So, 
Case studies and stories, I think we would both agree, are powerful tools for communicating contextual understanding. And, and reading about the experiences of colleagues helps us examine and improve our own work as online education professionals. Yep, I think, that, I think that's right. Well, that's, a good, that's a good summation. Uh, before we get out the door, you mind if I make a little shameless plug? We've done a few already this episode. Let's, let's <laughs> add one more. So um, we received a, uh, a recent new uh, endorsement on our Apple Podcasts page for TopCast. Listener Ms. Mari said the following, quote, Top Podcast plus coffee. It's a winner, unquote. So... Thanks, Ms. Mari. This is a good time to invite all of our listeners or viewers to leave behind a rating or brief endorsement on whatever platform you're accessing us. While Apple Podcasts predominates according to our data, you can also rate and review on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, or many other venues. So please do. You know, it, it helps the algorithms find us, or maybe it helps AIs come to us and listen. I don't know. I don't know who's listening or watching, but whether you're organic or synthetic, we appreciate your attention. Hey, there's a uh, an Alexa command, whatever they're called, that will play uh, TopCast. You just ask her to play it and she will. I've done That's it. Right. That's yeah. right. So, all right, Kelvin, thank you. Um, you know, I'm going to have my coffee and a mint julep. <laughs> All right. Well, I, uh, I wish I was sharing this coffee with you uh, poured into your cup, but I'm glad to be able to have the, the, the virtual experience. So until next time, for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.